Boy, can I help you? Listen up. I'm bringing you the best content to ever exist in the door-to-door industry from sales, leadership, recruiting, and personal development. Well, why would I need that? Because never before have we been able to collaborate with the top experts in their industries, sharing their secrets and techniques on what makes them the best. Wait, who, who are you? I'm your host, Sam Taggart, creator of the DDD Experts and DDDCon. Is there a place we can sit down? Well, come on in. Register today for DDDCon, January 10th through 12th. Learn from over 40 amazing speakers, including the real wolf of Wall Street, Jordan Belfort. Come as a team, learn as a team, leave as a tribe. All right. This is uh, the Door-to-Door Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Taggart. I'm here with a very special guest, Jordan Belfort, the real wolf of Wall Street. He is an author, speaker, sales trainer, and master consultant. And really, you're most famous for the straight-line persuasion technique that you've kind of developed, right? Right. Okay, so I'm here sitting in Hermosa Beach, and it's quite an Hermosa day, right? Uh, flew in from Utah. This is every day. I was going to say, I was like, is there not a day that's Hermosa? Once in a while. You don't yeah. have like the North Carolina hurricanes nah, that hit you? Very rarely. Best part of the West Coast, right? Yeah. You're from East Coast, aren't you? Originally, yeah. So. Why, why the West Coast? Oh, long story. Uh, I just follow my children out here. So. Oh, really? Great move, and then uh, I'm lucky as I met a woman out here. My new wife, she's the best, so cool. lucky man. Um, so also our keynote headliner closer on Saturday for Door to Door Con. Are you excited go. for that? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, you know, at heart, door to door sales is kind of there right at the center of it because it was my first job in sales was selling door to door. It was an amazing experience. And I always say, if you can do door to door sales, you can do anything. Because it's, you know, it's, listen, it's not for everyone, but you can make a lot of money doing it. And also there's a certain freedom about going door to door and you're out there in the field that to me I mean once you learn the technique of doing it uh, it's just an amazing feeling to go out there just like on your own wits um, you know making money every single day with like sort of no strings attached so it's pretty cool you that's know? awesome when was the last time you did door to door I guess it, like has it been a minute or no no well I did I did door to door sales back in uh 2001. Oh, wow. So yeah, nice. yeah. So after the, you know, all the shit hit the fan with the, with Stratton, right? So and then I actually went into, I had a couple, like four fights before I went to jail and I actually went into the mortgage business and I was, and I invented a way of selling mortgages back in the refi boom, uh, going door to door. and made a fortune awesome. doing it. I mean, made a fortune. And I trained a lot of people to do the same. I had days I made 100,000 in one day. Going door to door. Just going door to door mortgages. Absolutely. I would go into a, into a store and I have some great stories, two amazing stories. So I go door to door and I typically bring three sales when we train them, you know, and I walk into a, a flower shop or a jewelry store, you know, a butcher, a seafood, and say, hey, where's the owner? You know, and they go, oh, hey, Jay, my name's Jordan, my mortgage broker in the area. You know, what rate you paying on your house? They'd say, no, I'm like, really? I could save you a ton of money. Hold on. Like, it was like $8,000 pop, boom, boom. I had days that closed 13 at like time. I made 120 grand one day. It was amazing. That is insane. Yeah. So I want to rewind kind of back to little Jordan. Mm-hmm. So like think of 10, 12 year old Jordan Belfort. Right. What was he like? He was doing door to door. I was going to say, <laughs> so I found a common trait and this is why I asked this question is like amongst the greats, it's like from a young age. Yeah. What was that like? Like, yeah. What was little Jordan doing? Well, I mean, my first real job going door to door was my paper route. So I had a paper route when I was eight years old. And uh, I was knocking on doors to expand it. And I learned a very valuable lesson there. It was a great lesson on, on, on marketing. Um, because when I first went out there and was knocking on doors, the first couple of hundred doors I knocked on, 
I didn't close one sale. No one was answering the door, right? And, and the reason for that was because I worked as an apprentice for another paper boy, right? Mm-hmm. And he handed me their routes. I was really smart, I thought. So like I'd, I was like, maybe, I think it was seven or eight at the time. And I was watching, I was following around, I was looking at all the doors in my neighborhood where there never was a paper. I'm like, oh, look at all these things. We ever see, you, know, you always see them. I was delivering, you see what other papers, the New York Times, the Daily News, right, New York Post, right? And if they didn't have a paper, I'm like, ah, oh, perfect door to knock on, right? So I made a list of all the doors that I never saw a newspaper at, right? And then as soon as he gave me the route, he went away to, uh, to college, right? He handed me the route, and I went and knocked on all those doors. I had the list of all the virgin doors, and not a single one bought. And I was devastated. Oh, wow. I was totally, I said, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, no one ever answered them. When they did answer, they weren't interested. I was like, huh, what the fuck, you know? And I, you know, my parents weren't sales people, you know, they were, they hated sales people, right? But my dad, my, my friend's dad next door to me was, you know, a marketing guy. And, you know, he knew I was a young hustler and I, I was all upset. He goes, what's wrong? I said, well, you know, I'm going door to door and I can't close a single sale. He said, no one's buying. He goes, well, what are you selling? I said, newspapers. He's, so I told him exactly what I did. You know, I made a list of all the doors that no one, Which you know, logically and, would make sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. He goes, starts laughing. He goes, you're knocking on the wrong doors. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, there's two types of people in the world. There's those people that want the newspaper delivered and those who don't. You're trying to knock on all the doors of those who don't. You, you think you're the first guy to walk through the neighborhood and knock on all these doors? There's been a hundred paper boys before you and they've knocked on all these doors and the ones who are getting the paper delivered are the ones that probably say yes. Everyone else either work all day long, they're never home, or they don't want the news. That's why there's no newspaper there. He goes, try this, because you deliver the New York Post, right? He goes, right, well, there's the New York Times and the news. Why don't you knock on all the doors when you see another newspaper, but not yours being delivered? Those people who buy new, who want people, they'll give yours a shot and see what happens. Made sense. Next day, I went out and closed 50 doors. That is insane. Learn the, the reason, that, you know, the, this lesson that I, I see salesmen make this stick all the time. They tend to think, they try to turn non-buyers into buyers. And I am a big believer when I go out there and I sell, I want to find people who, you know, want my product, need my product, use the product. I want to do a better job at selling it to them. That's the case. So you're not going to turn someone who never bought a newspaper into a newspaper buyer. It just doesn't work. So I love that. And you talk about that principle in your book a little exactly, bit. Exactly. Yeah. You talk about kind of these levels of buyers. And I think a lot of times, yeah. you know, when we go door to door, we get this like straight up like, no, 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 no. And we think we can like somehow persuade that guy. And it's like, just... Find the ones that are going to buy. Well, it. listen, there's, you know, there's, again, there's, there's two types of, of door-to-door sales, right? Yep. There's door-to-door where you're cold canvassing, just knocking on any old door. And then there's where you have some sort of warm lead, right? Yep. You know, for those people who are knocking on, you know, just random doors, it's a little bit more difficult. So, you know, what I always try to do, if I was doing that, I would try to figure out, you know, how to increase my arts. But it's not always so easy. It depends what industry and so forth. But... Obviously, if you own a company, the best thing to do is to try to figure out a way to get them at least a bit warmer leads from exactly. yeah, so they knock on, right? So, but that depends on what industry you're in. Love that. So let's fast forward. When did you kind of get into the meat selling was kind of your next? No, actually, after, that, I went, uh, yeah. after uh, the newspaper, my mother got so upset because I was knocking on so many doors. I, she goes, should I be an end of a door-to-door salesman, right? So she made me sell the route. So I retired really? at the age of nine, right? I sold like 75 bucks, big profit. Right? Hang in the towel. I didn't retire for long though because, you know, back in the day in, in uh, New York City, it used to snow like mad. This is before Al Gore invented global warming, right? So this is when it used to snow like 30 inches for every town. And, you know, I lived in a, not a poor, but a lower middle class area, right? And about a mile away was the rich people in big houses, right? Mm-hmm. So it snowed like 20 inches one day. So I, I had an idea. I picked up my snow shovel, got dressed up warm. Went out to the air, knocked on the door, and said, I'll shuffle you drive for 20 bucks. Boom. 
So I started doing that every time it would snow. I'd shovel driveways after snowstorms. Made a lot of money. But then Al Gore, global warming, right? And uh, that was it. And then I started, the next one was going blanket to blanket on Jones Beach. And there I made a ton of money. So I'd actually go literally, just imagine door to door. Well, one of the things I always believe when you go door to door is the higher the concentration, you can knock on doors yeah, faster, Yeah, the closer right? the doors. Well, right, yeah. right, right, right. Or you better have some really, you know, rich people to buy a lot of your stuff, right? Because you got to drive to each door, right? Yep. So what's the highest concentration? People on the beach, blanket to blanket to blanket. So I was going blanket to blanket. This and is making, like little Mexico. Making I mean, massive yeah. money in Jones. I was making uh, like uh, 500 bucks a day when I was 17, 18 years old. What were you selling? Ice cream and ices, Italian ices, chip, which is fudgicles, Milky Way, Snickers. That's and I brilliant. go blanket. And oh, like, I made a fortune. I made probably 30, 40,000 bucks a summer, put myself through college, right? And then that's my first job out of school was selling um, meat and seafood door to door. What do you think attributed to this like mindset of like, I'm going to get out on the beach while everybody's going and playing? Where did this whole like yeah. hustle, this grit factor well, well, come from? At some level, I mean, listen, I, I always wanted to be rich from as far back as I can remember. So I was very small. You know, to go back that far, you probably have to go to the psychiatrist, right? But in terms <laughs> of, but, but as an adult, like as a, as a teenager, when it starts to really matter, I'll tell you exactly what happened. I was always a very smart kid intellectually, good in school, right? Um, I was always hungry. I was lazy like any other kid. I was never like the most motivated kid. Right? If you ask me, they'll always say, oh, he always was. That's like revisionist history. It's just yeah. not true. Right? It all changed when I went to the beach and I brought a cooler and I had this idea, let me go blanket the blanket. And they made the first day like 200 bucks. It was like, you can't imagine, this is 1980, no, it was 1977. In today's world, it's like 500 It's yeah. crazy, right? And that changed my life. That seeing that I could go out and do something and make four hundred. It was like what? The? I was so I linked up very early when I was like 17, 16, 17 years old. That I'm an entrepreneur. That if I work hard, I'm gonna get the result. I'm gonna get money. All of a sudden, that opened up a new car and girls and going and all this. So I had all these things I was linking up as my belief systems. Yes. So I began to realize that man, you know, it became my identity almost my of who I was. I came, I'm a hard worker. I call it a sales addict. It's right? like you learn this yeah. dopamine hit of like, I go work hard, I get paid instant yeah. money. Well, it became, became my identity. In yes. other words, who yes. I was. You know, I am a top closer. And then, so that was, that was really hard work and, and, and ingenuity. But in terms of actual sales persuasion, that started with the meat business. And okay. that was my first day. I just literally shattered the company record. Like I, I had this ability, it was God-given ability. And I could outsell anyone by like double or triple. And I started, you know, rewriting all the company records. Then started my own business when I was 20, 22. And I realized I had a knack for training salespeople. Um, and then that was it. You know, that, that's how it all started. So a lot of people that, this is a big challenge between really good salespeople converting that into really good sales trainers. Mm. What do you think you attributed like being able to go sell it, but then duplicate it once you did start your own like, how, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, as I, and that's a, a valid point because, you know, some of the greatest athletes are the worst coaches. Exactly. That's and what some I of the best coaches aren't very good athletes, right? I was fortunate that as, as good as I was in selling, I was even better at, at managing and motivating and also training. Not, not just mo- see, it's different. motivating is one thing, training is another. So I was good at both motivating and training. So motivating is getting them to do, you know, what they know how to do. Training is teaching them to actually do it, right? Yeah. If you motivate someone, but you don't give them the skills to do it. It's 
it doesn't work. It almost reverses itself. That's yeah, it's it. like they go out and get all the expectations they, are here. And, and they, they can't they... close the fucking door, right? Yeah. What good is that, right? So my ability was that I actually was able to train people. And in the beginning, I think I had a very good musical ear. So a lot of it for me was a start off with tonality. Like I was aware that there was a certain way that I sounded, that I just sounded good. And when I would hear the other salespeople speak, they didn't sound very good. Like they didn't sound convincing. That it was, was like the, you're off tone. Yeah, the first, well, just you know, boring, not yeah. enthusiastic, not convincing. And then, you know, this is then very early on. That was the first thing that, that stuck out to me, right? And then I had the ability by drilling them and making them sort of stop, do it again, repeat, you know, follow me. It just had a natural ability to train salespeople. So did a, did a lot of salespeople tell you, well, I'm just not like you or that's not my style or my personality? And no, I actually, actually, I actually, you know, one of the great things is uh, um, one of my good friends today, so they took for the movie, is the sea otter in the okay. movie. But he's really called the penguin. His, his real name is Elliot. Elliot worked with me in the meat and seafood business and Elliot was my partner. We started our own company from scratch. And Elliot sent me a picture of me training the sales. I was 22 years old. And he has a picture of me training 13 salesmen out there. And like, even then, like, they were just like, I could, they would never say it. They would look at me and say, I just, you know, wow, show me how to do what you do. And I had a way of sort of taking what I did and distilling it down so virtually anyone could do it. Now, obviously, when I hired salespeople, I was going to hire people who tended to have that sort of more outward, you know, personality yeah. and stuff like that would give them a better predisposition for succeeding in sales. But I, very young, had this ability to take people of all types and sort of impart the skills that I naturally had onto them. That's before the straight line. When the straight line, when I invented the straight lines, 1980, that's when everything changed. Then it was like I could take anybody and make them a superstar, basically. So I want to dive into that straight line persuasion and straight line that you have. But before that, if, is there anything that you would have done different on that whole meat business? Like, like what oh, were sure. your biggest, like, what were your biggest wins in the whole meat door knocking? No, it was, it was the worst business in the fucking world. <laughs> It's just okay. terrible. Yeah, I've done everything differently. Okay. Listen. Yeah, what did you learn? What were the experiences? This is a sales, this is a sales-centric um, you know, podcast, right? Yes. So you don't care about all the business. I made every business mistake that you could well, make. There, no, there's a lot of oh, business yeah. owners just, that I was overexpanding. I was undercapitalized. I was growing on credit. I wasn't screening out my employees. Half my people, like they sounded good. I was going on, they sounded good. Well, I was doing background checks. Half these guys were smoking crack under a freaking bridge with my truck. I had trucks I was getting. I mean, it was just so crazy, the whole thing. And uh, I wasn't keeping track of my inventory. I mean, so I was kind of like, we're going to go out and just throw it out. I was, a like... man, I was an incredible salesperson. And I had a natural ability to train people like no one else did. But, you never but I didn't look at the rest, the rest of the business, <laughs> the operational aspects. I just left that shit to its own devices. And I thought I was making a lot of money because I was growing on credit. You know, I was, you know, I realized, you know, I was getting terms from my suppliers and I'm selling a shitload of meat and I'm, I'm and more people are high, the more they're selling. So I was growing on credit basically. But then when the barbecue season ended and the sales slowed down and everything came, it was a disaster, right? So, I mean, that, those were the business lessons that I learned. In terms of this, on the sales side of the equation, it was really more about not screening out employees, uh, you know, salesmen care, you know, carefully enough. Um, but for the most part, the mistakes I made were really, and also that I had zero marketing. In other words, back then, I didn't really even know, if you would ask me, what do you mean marketing? And as I was a young kid, and I was a biochem major, right? So I had no idea about sort of like the idea that, you know, we can go out there and have a separate division creating leads for the salesman and having warm leads for them, the better guys show up for that. So it was just like, here's a truck, go out and frickin' find the neighborhood and go knock them dead. So there was no organization. Yeah. So only the really the toughest salespeople could succeed, you know? 
Cool. So fast forward, you developed this whole straight line. That was in the 80s. Was this post, was this a Stratton thing? Or was at this the, at a, the Stratton. This is a Stratton. Okay, so right. what, what, what sparked this whole stock thing? I mean, obviously a lot of us have watched the movie. Um, well, how it, was did just, the, it was just like the movie. I mean, like what happened was I, uh, I was in the meat business, right? Yeah. And um, I lost all my, I went bankrupt in the meat business, right? And um, I heard about a friend of mine who had grown, grown up with, and his name was Michael Falk. And he, he was like, I heard he's making a million bucks a year on Wall Street. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, no way. It was like, it was like 1987. Yeah. And I'm like, that can't. It's 86. I'm like, that can't be. Like a million dollars, like 20 grand a week. I didn't have five dollars in my pocket, you know. And he was not a sharp kid in the neighborhood. He was like a weird kid that no one played with. You know, he was. And yeah. he's a great guy now. But like if he could do it, I'm I like, what? Well, no, I said to myself, if he can make a million, I can make fucking ten. That's what I said, right? Yeah. So I, yeah, and when I saw him, he was driving a Ferrari. He looked good. I'm like, what the hell? He goes, I'm, I'm, I'm a stockbroker, right? Anyway, so I said, I got to do this, right? So I answered and had the paper and I sold myself a job because my resume wasn't looking very good at this point. And I was a dental school, I went to dental school too, by the way, for a day. But I was a dental school dropout who just declared bankruptcy, hiring, right? So I sold myself a job, got a job in a big firm and worked as, an, as a cold caller or just connector, right? Answering, dialing the phone, passing it to a senior broker. And, um, and, and I just was able to listen to everyone selling. And I had this one guy from the movie, Mark Hanna, who was a great salesman. I heard his tonality. I loved it. I said, wow, that's how you know it should sound. I heard all the most of the guys sucked though. And I was like, this is just weird. that Because it was really a salesman's job being a stockbroker. It wasn't an analyst. It was a separate department, right? Um, so I learned a lot just by listening. And then my first day as a broker was Black Monday. And the firm shut down and I had to leave and I ended up in a small, tiny firm where they, the salesmen were just awful and untrained. They were exaggerating and lying and they, just ridiculous, right? And I went in there and I wrote a script and just like the movie, you know, I had the biggest trade. My first trade was the biggest one in penny stock history and that was how it started. This is before the straight line as well. But the thing about the straight line is I was, you know, I was using the straight line without realizing it. And that's what all great salesmen yeah. do. They all use the straight line. The, the, the straight line is just, a, is just the, the highest level of selling correctly. You're lining up the elements. So everyone uses it whether they know it or not, right? So, um, and then what happened was I started my own firm. I had that opportunity. And that was when the problem started. Because originally I was selling penny stocks. And I made the shift to selling $5 stocks to the richest 1% of Americans. So I went from calling average moms and pops who weren't sophisticated who were investing maybe $500 if they liked an idea, to calling multi-millionaires who if they liked an idea would invest a million bucks. They were very sophisticated. So I tested the idea myself. I could do it. Danny could do it, my junior partner. But when I tried to have my 12 guys do it, they simply couldn't do it. They could not close rich people. There was something missing. And I tried all these different ways and take every, every book on sales, nothing worked. And, then, and I was almost ready to give up on this. And then I had this one meeting and I'm like, you know, guys, what's so hard? What's holding you back? And they're like, there's so many objections. It's so hard. It's this, it's that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, don't you guys get it? I'm like, every sale's the same. And they're like, what? I'm like, guys, every sale is the same. Watch. And I just said, it's a straight line. I drew a straight line and something happened. Like it was just, I drew this line and it unlocked this whole thing in my own head of what I was doing all these years. And I said, this is your open, this is your close. And I just, and just over a three hour period, I invented an entirely new way of selling. And it was so powerful that the next morning, these 12 guys who probably had the IQ on average of Forrest Gump on three hits of acid. So it really demonstrated that in the movie though. I mean, that like the movie- It was, was like, that profound. Yeah. These guys couldn't close a fucking door. Yeah. 
And then the next morning, after I invented the straight line, they went on an account opening spree that was so unbelievable that within six months, they were all millionaires. It was that profound. And the straight line was so easy to teach someone and it worked so well that the word got out. So kids started showing up at my door. And before I knew it, I had lines of people out there and, you know, went from, I went from like having no money or little to making, you know, a million bucks a week. And I was still in my early 20s. It was, just cra- it was crazy. And then straight, every day I'd give these meetings, two meetings a day, and they would take me and they made into the straight line manual. And that's how it started. That's awesome. Yeah. So during your time at Stratton, what would be some of your big highlights that you felt like? You know, this is the biggest wins. These were like my 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 peak moments. Maybe that I wasn't mean, demonstrated in the movie. I, 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 well, listen. I mean, it was listen. Well, typically, the way I ran Stratton was I would have these. You know, the, the whole month would lead up to one transaction. You know, where you know. So if I if I let's say I would lose on an average day a hundred thousand dollars, I'd lose a hundred grand. I didn't care, right? And then I'd make fifteen million in one day on the twenty second, like wow. that. So it's sort of like. For me, it was about protecting. So by, by losing money, I could protect my firm. I could protect my... I wasn't trying to get greedy and make money every day because on Wall Street, there's some risk-averse strategies where you might not make money, but you keep yourself strong in the game. And I set myself up for one massive transaction to make big money. So that, that was like a typical thing that happened every single month. And then my biggest wins were like the night I invented the straight line was certainly the biggest one. And then um, just, you know cracking the code for certain transactions I was doing. But the real big thing was really that the success was based on the system I created to train salesmen. So I could take any kid, regardless of their age, race, creed, color, socioeconomic background, educational status, level of natural sales, but it didn't matter. I could take any one of them and turn them into a world-class closer in a matter of days. Yeah. And that was what was behind the whole thing. So let's talk about what is the straight line. I think a lot of people maybe that aren't familiar with that, that strategy or the book or whatever. Talk to me kind of like if you had to sum up the straight line in a, in a nutshell, like what would be the main points that you would train on? Well, the thing with the straight line is that it, it, the, the overarching concept is that every sale is the same. And you're probably saying, well, how could every sale be the same? People have different needs, different values, different beliefs, different pain points, right? They might say different things, but that's not what I'm talking about. That's all true, but it's not what I mean. What I mean is that at the end of the day, before someone says yes, the same core elements must line up in their mind. There are five things that must line up in someone's mind at a very high level. And if you can get those five things lined up, you have a really 90% plus chance of closing them. If even one of those things is missing, it's very hard to close. Yeah, it's it's, I want to think about it maybe later. Well, whatever well what happened was you get those will come. Those will be results of that. So yes. what happened was by it was almost a backwards working system. So it was like goal oriented. Okay, I want to close the sale. What do I have to say? What do I have to go? So you look back to front, right? Yeah. Here's what, I want the guy to, to do X, take X action. What yeah. has to happen to get him to do that? And it, at the end of the day, it turned out there were five things, right? And if you could line up these five things, then you would, you would get them to say yes. And, I, and the system was about showing you step-by-step step how to line these five elements up. Now, why is every sale the same? Well, it's the same because those five elements must line up no matter what you're selling. It could be a tangible item, intangible, door-to-door, over the phone. doesn't matter. The same five things. But here's what happens. With a straight line, what we learn to do is take control of the encounter. And by taking control of the encounter, you can then 
use the same strategy to line them up every there's, there are five things to be lined up if the prospects in control of the encounter how the hell are you going to line up these five i mean you're they're writing you're chasing yeah. you're, you're like how do you do it? it's almost like and that's why people have so much trouble selling this natural salespeople is if there's one thing they all have in common they control the flow of the encounter they intuitively, they were born for whatever God yeah. or nature, they know how to take control of the sales. And because of that, once you're in control, you can then go step by step, say, okay, I'm in control, I gotta accomplish these five things, I'm gonna do this one first, this one second. It allows you to bring order to chaos. Without being in control, it's fucking chaos. Yeah. You're getting hit with objections, they're asking you this, it doesn't work. So the, so the straight line, is I think the, probably the only end-to-end sales system out there that from literally the first word out of your mouth or from the moment they lay eyes on you, the straight line says, do this first, do this, and all the way down to the close to when they say yeah, yes or don't. It's when they kind of go like this, it's like, let's bring them yeah, back onto yeah, the line. Exactly. Bring so them they, back exactly. on the line. Again, because you have these boundaries, yeah. right? So you have the straight line, and you know what the straight line represents, that's like the perfect sale. Yep. No objections. Lay down, client. You know, you're, I'm sure you've had many of them where just everything you say, everything you do, the client's like, yes, oh yeah, great. Oh, that sounds good. Oh, yes, yes. But, oh my God. Those are almost scary. <laughs> I, I get scared of those. You get like, one, right? Yeah. And, and they're basically pre-sold yeah. Yeah. before you walk into whatever their, their preconceived notion. The lay down. Yeah, right? lay down. They're pre-sold, yeah. right? And it would be great if all sales were like that, but it's not. Most of the time, they want to go off the line. They have questions, objections, they ramble. So what? So the perfect straight line is like, you know, you're totally like, oh, yeah, great. Easy ones, right? Yeah. But typically, the, you know, they go off the line, but you have these healthy boundaries above and below the line. So there's these healthy boundaries with the client, with the prospect is talking, you're asking questions, and that's what all the intelligence gathers, rapport is built. And as long as you're within these boundaries, you're moving forward towards the close. What happens with a lot of novice salesmen is they go outside these boundaries and the client's in control and they're sparring off to Pluto. And they're whatever. trying to pull them back. They're like, wait, no. And yeah, they lost right. Yeah. So, so, so the straight line is essentially this, this it's a sort of a, it's almost like a computer program in a way. Yeah. But communication, it allows you to like, if they do this, you say this. It just allows the sale to keep moving forward. And as it's moving forward, what happens is you're building more certainty. So really, at the end of the day, Sales is about the transference of certainty. You, the salesman, are really certain your product is awesome. It's going to help them. They are not so certain because they don't know that much about your product. So your job is to educate them about all the benefits about your product, why it's perfect fit for them, why it's the best of breed, best of competition, competition, right? And essentially, you're implying that knowledge. And what you're doing is slowly but surely, you're raising up their level of certainty, yep. right? Now, when is that s- what you talk about? The three tens of yeah, certainty. exactly. So when salespeople think of certainty, yeah. one of the big mistakes they make—that's pretty obvious, right? But the mistake people make. Is that when they think of certainty, they're like, think of, yeah, they got to love my product. They're stuck with right. right. So I'm saying, okay, great. Let's say they do, let's say you do a great job of that. Let's say you, you know, you give a presentation and when you're done, they're like, wow, that's a great, that product fits my needs. It's a great deal. I love that. You know, will they buy it from me? Yes or no. And people say, yeah, well, then they would. I'm like, maybe, maybe they will, maybe they won't. What if in the process of doing that, you broke before they don't trust you. Let's say you pissed them off. Let's say, yeah, you got them really certain. But they don't like you. They think you're an asshole. Well, they don't. They think you're shifty. Will they buy from you? No. No way. Not a, no way under the sun. So it's not enough that they're certain about your product. They also have to be certain about you, the salesperson, yep. right? So that's so. While the first one is one of your key ones is the product. The second is you, the salesperson. So there's five of those things, and when you line up all five of those, 
you're golden. And then what happens is people go from saying, let me think about it. They'll say, all right, yeah, let's do it. That's what happens. So it's you, product, company. The company that, in other words, well, just to, to, yeah, the third yeah. one would be the company that stands behind it. So let's say a perfect example is, remember back in the end, like, Eight to ten years ago, where Toyota had a problem with the gas pedal, oh, yeah. right? So you know, listen, Toyota makes a great car. I'm sure people who bought Toyota loved that the, the Toyota. They probably loved their local salesman, but they didn't trust the company. Like, Wait a second, the company's not being honest with us. So what happened to sales? They they dove. But then, of course, Toyota's a great company. They earned back everyone's trust by doing the right thing, by putting out marketing. And as soon as trust was, you know, reestablished, sales went back up to the same level. Because without trusting the company that stands behind the product, people say, you know what? I don't want to buy because if it goes wrong, they're not going to be there for me, right? So those three elements, you know, they must love the product. They must trust and connect with the salesman. Trust and connect with the company. Those are the first three elements, right? Yeah. And, and those like the you know, linchpin that, you know, you want to corral, and I call them tens, yeah. because like you want to get into a 10 on the certainty scale, and one is like the worst product, 10 is they think it's the best, so you want to get into a 10, 10, 10, and then ask for the order. And if you do that, they might say yes, you have a good shot of it. If even one of those is very low, you have, you know, they're at a six, you're probably not going to, almost have no shot at all at all, right? But sometimes though, you get people to a 10, 10, 10, and they still won't buy. You're like, what? what yeah, it's like, like, it's like, what is it? Like, and, and, and that's because there's two other elements. And those elements are what's called someone's action threshold, meaning every human being is a bit different in their beliefs about buying. People like me, I mean, I'm a, I'm a sucker. I, yeah, it's like, I'm like, I am the easiest person to sell to. You might be the same. I just love to buy shit. I'm not skeptical. I, I think my best decisions are my quick decisions. So I'm easy to sell to, right? Then there's people like my dad. He's the toughest nut to crack out. He hates salesmen. He makes decisions slowly. And unless my father is damn certain about the product, about the salesperson, about the he ain't buying me. I can be reasonably certain when I buy. So what do you do with those people like my dad? So you got them like to a almost let's say a nine, ten, nine. So they're really high in the certainty scale, but yet their beliefs are such they still won't buy. What well, yeah. straight it's like, line? It's like the rule is I need to sleep on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. you get those so, things, it, yeah. so the so what we do with the straight line, we have we have mechanisms and language patterns that we use then to essentially what's called lower their action threshold. So we take someone like my father and we temporarily say things to them that make their belief systems mirror more someone like me. So you actually make them into easier buys in the moment. And if you've already got them to a very high level of certainty, bam, they'll close right there. And then lastly, the fifth element is called their pain threshold, meaning that when people are feeling pain about something, they tend to act very quickly as well. So that, those are the five elements. We essentially address each of those five elements one at a time and in the same order every time. And it's very liberating to a salesperson because for an average salesperson, they just become all one. What I do first, what I do second, what I, the straight line gives them the order to the chaos. And I'll give you an example. I have a company out there that I do consulting for, right? They're logistics. So we implemented this, they're a billion dollar company, right? So we implemented the straight line in a very, you know, very, uh, you know, deep way, you know, going the full route with it, right? And they have 230 salespeople. And we took four of them and we just said, this is, we're going to really teach them the systems and all thing. Last week, those four salesmen outsold 230. Wow. Of a billion dollar company. They outsold 230 people by using the straight line. So it worked. And that's just typical. I mean, it really works well when you apply it at the high level.
That is awesome. Yep. So how do we apply this to door to door? You know, I know well, no, it's, yeah. it's a perfect yeah. application. So I, like if you were to say, okay, I'm training a, an alarm rep or a solar rep, right. or you pick the industry. If you could sell one thing door to door, what would it be? Let's pick that. Oh, I don't know. I can't say without knowing all the what, what is give me some examples. Pest control, solar, satellite, roofing, meat, uh, internet, vacuum. I'll tell you one thing it wouldn't be it wouldn't be meat. <laughs> There's, I don't I, I would never do that again. But here's the thing. So I would before I pick anything to sell door to door, um, what I would do is I would I would analyze each industry and say, okay, what is the top salesperson in that industry making? making? I want to know what the top guy's making, and also yep. I want to know what the average guy's making. Yep. If the top guy's making three hundred grand a year, I'll take a pass. Yeah, I want the top guy to be making thirty million a year, and I want the, the best people making a million plus. Yeah, I don't I don't want to be right and be average. That's the problem. So that, that's the industry I pick. We could pick mortgages, per se. Like yeah, that's let's, pick, let's pick mortgages. Yeah. Okay, so you knock a door. You know, I know in the book it talks a lot about, like, you got to be sharp as a tech. That first 30 seconds. Right. Like, what would you say, what, would, what, what do you feel, like, applying kind of your principles to that initial 30 seconds? Now, like, obviously, years of experience in studying. What would well, you do on that? There's just two parts of it. Number one is, you know, everything, you know, from your body language when you're a yeah. person, right? From how you dress how you make eye contact, how you eventually shake hands, how you smile, how do you see with your tonality, right? And, you know, again, there's something I, I use called the law of congruency when it comes to body language, meaning, you know, how should you dress well? How would a real, how would an expert in that industry, how should they be dressed when you walk in the, how would you want someone else to be dressed and say, wow, that person's an expert? Like a plumber is not gonna be in a suit. <laughs> right? He couldn't get his plumber crap. Right, yeah, you know, she's in a suit. I don't know about this plumber. He's going to yeah. fucking overcharge me, this guy's exactly. like a Wall Street banker, right? Yeah. But by the same token, you know, um, if a plumber showed up in a greasy, disgusting outfit with stains on it and a tool belt hanging down with his pants, you could say, that guy's going to probably make my house into a mess. Yeah. Right? So how would I want that guy? I want that like a, a nice... You probably get, you know a jumpsuit or uniform with this patch on it and a you know clean the clipboard and his two belt license you know shiny patch, buttoned you know, up. clean buttoned up but congruent with the industry and that makes it. that per that first impression right okay. and then it's about eye contact shaking hands always smiling and also the biggest mistake people make is with the greeting they they they, they people have a tendency to like not greet someone with enough enthusiasm like they say oh how are you I say how you doing like. It makes a big difference of your tonality. You say, hey, how are you today? Okay. Like, I really want to know. I really give a shit. Versus I'm just saying, you know, how are you today? You know that I know that I don't, you know, I don't give a shit. You don't give a shit. We're just and saying I'm that. just a door knocker and you're going to tell me yeah. no in the next so, person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so much of it is just like this energy that comes out of you okay. that, you know, I'm glad. Hey, how you doing? Great. You know, big smile, enthusiasm. And then that's one part of it. And then also there's, you know, the idea that there is a group of work. You have like maybe, you know, five or 10 seconds, right? To make you greedy, right? What are the best words in your industry? You know what I'm saying? What, you know, they differ from every, what should you be saying? Because there's certain words, I always call them trigger words that actually are very negative. Like yeah. knocking solar in California, yeah. people are like, oh, solar, not interested. Yeah. Where there's certain, you know, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, more than that even though, it's in the sense that whatever those words are, you should have them prepared and say the same ones every single time. The big mistake sales will make is they try to wing it. Yeah. Like they don't go into things saying, you know, if I'm a door knocker, right? I'm going to have, I'm gonna say the same thing every single door. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have the, and, and what am I gonna say? The best possible words delivered in the best possible way. What the straight line is about is strategic preparation. I would prepare myself that I, I would figure out what are the best words. When it depends on what industry you're in, yep. it could be 
10 words, five words, it doesn't matter. But the point is that you're not just changing it in like one time you say this, one time you say that, but I'm gonna make sure that I knock on every door using the same sales pitch and also with the same level of enthusiasm. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned in sales was about state management. And, and, and that is that I, my day that I trained the meat business, the guy who trained me was the penguin. And we started knocking on doors and you know, every door was spam, slammed in his face. He's like, listen, no matter what they do, you gotta say, have a nice day, stay pumped and positive. So you gotta be positive, like, all right? And he did that. And every time a door would slam in his face, he's like, have a nice day, have a nice day, right? And then somewhere around like the 12 o'clock mark, I noticed that his, his shoulders dropped and he walked into the knock, knock, goes, you wouldn't want any filet mignon shrimp or lobster tails, right? The last 10 people said no. So I'm assuming you're going to say no. Now, he didn't say those words. But that was they his body. Oozed. Yeah, it was like he was, his was demeanor was saying that. So they oozed that. And, and, and he didn't close the sale all day. And I remember that. I'm like, wow, like, that is just like so profound that people have this, this natural tendency to fall into a disempowered state intraday based on how much rejection they're getting. And that is just the death of a salesperson. Yes. So you need to make sure that you have a system that I, I teach them with a straight line called anchoring them. You know, all factory anchoring is a step up from anchoring, which is essentially how do you trigger yourself into a peak state before you knock on that door? Because how the, the attitude you have, you knock on the door and you sound like negative and you're not gonna close one person. You sound positive, upbeat, you have, you have much higher likelihood. And what are some of the, I know you do some interesting things to kind of Anchor yourself. Use what's it called, like a boomstick? Or well, a, I use uh, a sense of smell. So a sense so, of smell. Yeah. Yeah, but that's on top of the thing, so it's part yeah. of the overall system. Um, I use something called boom boom. That's just you know, it could be any, it could be a, a fixed vapor. I'm seriously, it's any pungent smell I use. And I actually saw a great. What was it? I was watching uh, last night. Oh, it was just, it was uh, watching the news, and some guy was saying was telling a story about this, this new cookbook that just came out. It's, a, it's called the Happy Cookbook. Maybe it's like number one of the best sellers right now. And he's saying, yeah, I did this because, like, you know, it's about recipes my mother cooked and this. And he goes, and, you know, my wife cooks this pot roast with the Lipton's tea. And this. she goes, I take one sniff and I'm like, I'm five years old back in my mother's house. Well, that's what sense of smell does for you. It's the most powerful, visceral thing when it comes to triggering an emotion. Your... It, just, it's, it goes to the reptilian brain, the hippocampus, yes. right? So it's just like, bam. So, so like, I use sense of smell to reignite a state of certainty if I feel like I'm losing my state. So that's important. That's yeah. awesome. Any other anchoring techniques that brings one. you back to... No, that's the best one I, I, I cool. use. That's the one. Yeah, I've, ne I've never tried... Maybe we should do the boom boom. To, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Know, People I, love it, yeah. I was like, I've never seen it. So that after this... Listen, again, I, I'm lucky um, because I'm naturally um, in a positive... I'm, I, it's been easy for me to manage my state. For some people, yeah. it's really difficult. It's like a lot of energy. Yeah, so for those people, them to, exactly, yep. Cool. So kind of shifting gears a little bit and to kind of wrap up, honestly, like this has been awesome so far, but I, I actually have a couple other questions. Sure. So one, let's move into like more leadership and you, you know, what, at your pinnacle, how many sales guys did you have beneath you? 3,000. 3,000 salespeople. And obviously that's probably a lot to manage. I'm sure there's managers and managers and managers. It is, but, but you know, I, I find it easier to manage a lot of people. The hardest thing to do is manage like six people. Yeah. Because everyone thinks they're so fucking important, you know? The more sales we have, the easier it is to imagine. Because you know they, you know, you could start, you know, relying on the herd theory and mob mentality, and you know, and one of the great things about the movie The Wolf of Wall Street was the speech that Leo gave, right? You know, he's, he goes, if you think I'm rude, then get the fuck out of here and go work at McDonald's. But before you do, take a good look at the person sitting in the street. Speech from the movie is a great speech from the movie, right? And that's word for word out of my book. And it's like the sort of speeches I would give in, in Stratton where I literally, you know, would, would tap into their deepest fears and their ultimate pleasure and use those things to motivate people. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, yeah. what other things, like, so kind of dive a little bit more into that. Like, how did you, 
really motivate these people because I feel like the biggest problem in leadership and management in our job is getting so here's so he an example so like I about um, about three weeks ago I started testing out a program okay and I called the daily motivations and what they were is I have a lot of companies that I work for and I said I'll tell you what how about this for a very for a ridiculously low price I will make sure every salesperson in your thing will I'll have a, a motivational clip delivered into their inbox every morning at 6 a.m. Five days a week. So they get literally motivated. Sometimes it'll be pure motivation, sometimes it'll be skills training, but usually a combination of both. Because what I found is that what you say to salespeople every once in a while, it makes a difference. What you say to them every day, day in and day out, that's the magic. And I used to give meetings every day. So I train salesmen around the world now in sales sources, right? I started doing, I have a week, I do a weekly intensive training. I, like, people buy the straight line system, right? But on top of that, so they go through the system, it's amazing. They get a huge benefit, right? It's the best system out there by far. It really is. It's, it's just amazing, right? But then for reinforcement, every single week, sometimes on a Saturday, sometimes on a Thursday, right? I'll give a one-hour intensive, not a webinar with bullshit where it's some, trying to sell you some shit. I'm just a training, it's a pure training for an hour with a Q&A at the end, right? And then, so that's one big exit, an hour each week, and then I give every single day eight minutes, 12 minutes, 10 minutes in the morning just to get them going. And because I found that to motivate people, really motivate them, it's every day, day in, day out, reminding people what they already know. Motivation is like a warm bath, right? It feels really good, and you should probably take one every day. But what the fuck does it really do for you? Yeah. It doesn't do much. It wears off, right? Yeah. So if you do it every day and also combine it with skills training, then you're in business. Cool. So that's what I started doing. And it's been working amazing. I'm actually launching the program right now in a public day. I tested it out with my, with my clients, people who bought the straight line, and I just started launching it now. And how do people find that? Yeah, you go, go to jordanbelfort.com, the website, and you click on, um, there'll be a special thing up there with the link. You know, you go to the products area. But okay. it's, by the way, I have to say, you want to know what I charge you, you're going to be ridiculous. So for a one hour training, I charge less than $3 to someone. That's crazy. It's, no, no, and I'll tell you why. No, I did it for a reason. It's like it's like fourteen ninety five a month for four trainings, but not, I mean real trainings, right? One hour piece because I'm I'm looking for the Netflix model. I have fans all over the world. I'm like you know, what? I want to make it so inexpensive. I want to make the investment like just a no brainer and get millions of people on it and yeah. do that. You understand? Yeah. Versus why why charge? Yeah, I can charge a hundred bucks and I get a lot of people, but I want to make this a resource for people with the motivations. I charge a dollar a day. Love it. It's like Love a joke. It. So, so I, I, I figured if I price it so low, it's about getting the whole world. Because really, if there's one thing as a salesperson, you know this, it's every day. It's like that, it's that morning. you you got to get out there and feel good about what you do. And yeah. it's so easy without someone in your ear. And, and one thing salesmen is they know I'm the real deal. If nothing else, I could be the biggest asshole in the world. When it comes to training salesmen and motivating salesmen, I'm probably one of the best that ever lived. I really was my, my gift, right? We all have gifts. That's mine. So I'm in your ear every single day. It's just like it makes a huge difference. And it's also like, I don't know about you, but you know, the webinar, I used to love them. Like it's corrupted my Facebook feed. Yeah. Everything's a free webinar on I mean, it's all bullshit. You know? One of the one of the yeah, and this is actually a question I wanted to ask you, because you know, back when you did sales and stuff, you there wasn't really the social media marketing that there right. is today, right? How have you seen like what have you done things different or like basically with now door to door, obviously we're like the advocates of like go out, grind, hustle, put 
I think you, you know, can combine the two together. That's what I was gonna say. How would you? Also, you know, listen, things, there's a certain level that you can't cross over with selling until you you can get great. Listen, there's nothing better in the world to getting leads than the internet. It's the best lead gen source ever invented, right? Yeah. But there is a cap on how much of a sale. What, what's the size of the sale before you have to either pick up a phone and speak to them or go and see them in person, right? Yep. So I always love that. I said there's marketing on one side of the equation, sales on the other. You know, marketing is identifying who your best buyers are, bringing them into your sales funnel. But if you want to really get the big sales, you've got to either see them in person, best, or over the phone, one of those two. So you, to use both in conjunction, that's awesome. There's a lot of great door-to-door that do that, right? Where they get the leads online and send out the people to close them. Or you might have like small tripwire offers where you sell a very low-priced product online. Then get the name in, have someone call show. Them, show up to really get the bigger sale, Correct. right? So they work hand-in-hand. Hand. And, and, but what I've noticed now is that people have corrupted the, this free webinar thing. And it's like, like, I remember back when I was a friend of mine, Frank Kern. He would give these free webinars. They were awesome. Like, he would sell you something, he'd teach you great stuff in two hours. He'd be like, man, I'll buy his stuff. It's a, and now, but now they don't do that. Now they just waste your time and they try to embed you. We spoke before, he said, you know, they try to butter you up and embed things. They give you like 7% and then it's like... You know, so I'm like, I'm not doing that. I said, if, I, I said, if someone wants to spend an hour of their life learning how to close, I'm going to give them 60 minutes of real information and I'll charge them a couple of dollars and they'll say, thank you, I'll, I'll tell my friends. Versus, let me waste three hours of your life. Like, yeah, so that, yeah. that's why I made the shift to pay trainings online, but awesome trainings as well. Cool. So another question I had was, you know, you've got 30 or 3,000 salespeople. What did you do to recruit that many people? How do you attract them? How did you... Different back then. So not, not, you know, nowadays, I use all the online mechanisms, okay. right? And I use social media as well to, to, to attract. The problem I have with social media is because of the celebrity aspect, I get a lot of crazed fans that want to come work for me and they don't really know what the fuck they're doing. Like, I get lucky sometimes when a fan happens to be confident. But, yeah. you know, but back in the day, we used to put ads in newspapers, believe it or not. That was the whole thing. So they help wanted. You don't do it anymore. Now it's all online. Okay. Right? But I was, listen, here's the, just in terms of recruiting, just, you know, I'm a big believer in not stealing other people's salespeople. I, I don't like doing that. I don't like it being done to me. I never do it to other companies. I'd rather train my own. That's because I can train my own, Right. Um, but I think that the best salesperson you'll ever get is one you train from the ground up. One hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah, it's just they're just is the most loyal. They're the best. They you know they do it the way you want to do it, and they appreciate that you train them. So you know it's a long lasting relationship. They're not mercenaries. So that that's a big believer in terms of where I listen. I've had huge success with Craigslist and, and other places where I just put ads in and they they come pouring in, and you know all the online platforms for you, know, you have Upwork, for, but that's more remote stuff. But you know any online platform, and they're like. In uh, Australia, you seek. There's different ones in different parts of the world, right? Yeah. But I would go for online recruiting for sure. Cool. So I want to speak to that. So door-to-door con, it's a very interesting, we were talking about this off camera, but it's it's a unique event because everybody's fear of bringing their people is, oh, all these other sharks are going to recruit my people. That's not, let me tell you, I know about your, your thing. Yes. I know about your event, and that's not what happens at your play. And also, here's the thing, you know, it's sort of like it has to be a safe zone. Yes. People, and this it's is a safe zone. It's a safe zone. So there's no recruiting going on there. And you know, I'm there to teach and to motivate people. I'll be there. It's going to be an awesome event. So I really suggest you all should you should all go to this. It really is because you know, listen, I, I'm a big believer. And this is what I, I I I say. People have a tendency to invest more in their fucking dog or cat than they themselves. They'll buy their dog the best biscuits. They'll freaking buy them toys and this. They won't spend eighty dollars on training themselves. I mean, hello. 
You know, it's knowledge, wild. it's wild. Knowledge is the real estate of the 21st century. You know, you go to your event, you're going to learn things, right? Techniques, you know, both sales and also operational. That's going to grow you as a salesperson, right? So it's like, you know, yet some people are like, you know, I'm not spending, what's, what's the ticket cost? $170. Like $100. They won't do that, but they'll buy their dog freaking the biscuits and shit. The fuck? It's crazy, it's, right? It is so. So, you know, you know I, I'm a big believer. Um, whether I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be there, right? Even if I wasn't going there, you should go because it's great. No one's stealing your sales. It's not a fear you should be worried about. That's an excuse to, to be lazy, basically. It really is. I think, and, and I think it's a very scarce mentality. It I think is. A lot is. of people have this yeah. mindset of like, oh, like you know, these are my people. It's like if you trained them and yeah. they appreciate you as a leader, they're 100%. gonna stay with you. Exactly. One hundred percent. So uh, I'm a proponent of it. I will be there. And also, you guys should check out this, this new product I launched. It's Daily Motivations in the Weekly Intensive. It's the best value out there. All you do is learn. Yeah, and another thing I want to – I mean, I put it here, but I I mean, I wrote – can I – I want to keep this copy, by the way. Yeah. Because I don't have a physical Well, I just copy. got it. So the, the soft cover just came out. For, so for all you cheap bastards that wouldn't spend $18 to get – and get the <laughs> but by the way, if it was the money that held you back, you get some serious fucking problems. I'll send you a free copy if that's how you know if you really don't have the money for it. But seriously, you should buy you know buy the um, um, the Kindle version. It's, it's just a great. It's book is real. Listen, I've worked there for a couple of years, um, and you know if you go on Amazon and look at the reviews, just what people are saying, it's like it's an awesome book. Except for a couple of the haters who say he's an asshole. He's a yeah. I'm like, and the book. I love it. And then the the last question. So yeah, check out his book, Way of the Wolf. And then the last question I just wanted to wrap up on is if you could give the door to door industry one piece of advice, what piece of advice would you give them? Like you're talking to the whole industry. You can pick though. You could say a salesperson. Here's what I would say. Here's what I would say. I'm gonna give you two things. Number one is. Spend time training yourself. Don't, don't try to go out there and just be successful by sheer hard work. Hard work is required, but you also have to actually upskill yourself. So, you know, whether it's the straight line or not, just do something to train yourself to make sure that you're proficient at what you do. Because when you are, door-to-door could be the most rewarding and, and, and fun way to make, to make money. If you don't know what you're doing, if you just kind of suck at it, right? I mean, you haven't been trained at it. It's torture. It's freaking sheer torture. It literally is torture. No. So like why? And it's, and it's a learnable skill. That's number one. And the second thing is that just remember this. You know, there's all these people out like, oh, door-to-door sales is sleazy. That bullshit. You know what? It's the purest form and, le- and, 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 and least sort of, you know, of like, you know, like, not hiding behind anything. A telephone. You're going out there. You're putting your best foot forward. So good for you. It's something to be proud of, I think. Not everyone can do it. But if you can go out there, let me just tell you this. If you can go out there and succeed at door-to-door sales, you're going to be rich. You will end up being rich if that's what you want. Because if you can sell door-to-door, then you can sell anything. Because it's the hardest form of sales. It's also one of the highest paid parts of sales. But if you have the right trainer and the right company, you can make a bloody fortune at it. I love that. Love that. You guys heard it firsthand. Make sure to go get your ticket, door-to-door-con, or ddd-con.com. We're super excited to see you in January. Awesome. And uh, appreciate your time. Definitely.